Welcome to the PWE and Me podcast, a place where we talk about the workplace, how it's changing, and ways that we can create an experience at work that is inspiring, real, and motivates us to bring our best self to work. PWE, what is it? Well, it's an acronym for Purposeful Workplace Experience. I'm on a mission to help our workplaces shift from being transactional to transformational, and PWE is how we will get there. My name is Carolyn Suara, your host and creator of PWE. We've got another episode of PWE and me on the way here. And my guest today is Craig Potvin. Craig is the VP of sales and marketing at a global pharmaceutical company. Welcome to the show, Craig. Thanks, Carolyn. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So Craig, uh, Craig and I, we actually haven't physically met yet, have we? No, We've I don't believe had, so. Yeah. So we, uh, we have a shared connection, um, a former, um, boss of mine years ago who really set a high standard. Um, that's, that's how we got connected. So, um, when I, when I first chatted with Craig, I was really taken by his approach to being a leader. And I thought he would be a great guest to have here on the show because, uh, from what I heard, he really does a lot of great things to create a purposeful workplace experience for the folks that he works with. So, so Craig, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been in your role and, uh, and your purpose, why you love your job. Sure. Thanks, Carolyn. So I've been, I guess I'd call myself a leader for about 12 years now, um, through various roles within the organization with different teams and kind of different, goals and objectives, but, um, you know, I really, uh, I find myself to be most passionate about growth and progress. Um, so I would relate that to work, but I'd also relate that to family. I coach hockey and ball hockey teams and those types of things. Um, and I find there's a lot of similarities between the two because what we're really looking for is identifying areas that we think we could do better or we think our team could do better. Um, and then looking for ways to support them in that growth and, um, you know, when it comes to kind of the why or what, what gets me up in the morning, it's, it's seeing that progress and seeing how happy people are, you know, when we set some goals and work together and achieve them. And, and how did you, um, how did you figure that out? Like so early that this idea of growth and learning and development would be such a catalyst for you? I, I always found myself, um, setting, setting little goals and projects and then I, I would drive towards them. And then I found, um, even through, uh, through social groups and everything else, I was always looking for ways to kind of take things to the next level or to, to improve whatever it is that we were working on. And then um, through work, I guess I would say everyone starts with some informal leadership. You know, we don't tend to be given formal leadership roles until we've been able to demonstrate some informal leadership. Um, and I found that when I worked in a group or when I worked within a team, um, that I would, I would end up being one that would be kind of out in front and, and trying to help to, to lead and guide. Um, and then I realized how much I, I liked that and was passionate about it. And then when I was given an opportunity to, to lead a team, I realized that it's actually a lot harder to do it formally than informally because <laughs> there's a lot of responsibility on that leader, you know, you're for your team and, and everything else. Yeah. So let's, let's go there for a second. Um, because, um, you know, it, it can seem great to say, I want that leader title. Um, so that jump, going from informal to formal what um 
what was the biggest thing for you? Like, was it, were, were there some, were there some uh, things that, that you maybe thought it was going to be like, and it wasn't? Um, tell us a little bit about that jump. Sure. Yeah. I think, I think the biggest change for me was this concept of kind of always being on. Um, you know, I find when you're the leader and when people are, are looking to you, um, you know, they're looking to you at times when you aren't necessarily feeling at your best um, or at times when you may not actually know the answer. And I think, you know, originally I thought, you know, the leader should always have the answer and they should always be the, the typical smartest one in the room. Um, so, so I found myself constantly trying to, to appear anyways, like I always had the answer. And I think as I matured and I continue to mature as, as a leader, I'm realizing more and more that, um, yes, you have to always be on and yes, you have to always be kind of reflecting uh, what you want uh, in the team. But at the same time, you have to recognize that you're not going to have the answers. And that, in, in fact, if you have a good and solid team, they're likely going to have a lot more answers than you are. And you become quite comfortable with uh, allowing them to take the lead in certain situations. Is there, I mean, I absolutely agree with you. Um, can you think of a certain example or a story that where you were maybe really humbled by that and realized that, well, I'm not the one with all the answers. Sure. Does anything come to mind? A fun little story you can share? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. So Again, I think typically when you first become a leader, at least when I first became a leader, you become a leader in an area that you're uh, very knowledgeable in. You kind of come up in an area, whatever, whether that be sales or marketing or supply chain or whatever it happens to be in that industry. Uh, and that was the same for me. So I came up uh, within a contracting team uh, within negotiating contracts, which I felt very confident about. Um, and then my next role, actually, I took on a supply chain role which I actually had never worked in supply chain. I didn't have any training in supply chain. So it was really my first experience in leading a team of people that all knew more than I did about what it was that they were supposed to do. Um, and I can still remember my first meeting sitting down with that team thinking, what, what can I possibly tell them that's going to give them faith that, that I'm the right uh, you know, leader for this team? Um, ultimately, and I think what shaped uh, a big part of who I am as a leader today was I was just simply open and and said, you know, you, you all know more than I do, and um, you've got a lot of great experience, and I think all of you are very talented. What I bring to the table is a knowledge of our business and, um, you know, some experience from the past, but at the same time, I'm going to need to learn as much as you are as we move forward. So I think that kind of openness um, and transparency really uh, showed the team that I wasn't, um, you know, wasn't overconfident or thinking that I was going to change everything that was happening. Um, and more so yeah. open to their ideas. What I love about that is it really creates the conditions for, for the whole team, right? Like you're creating a, well, like a, a workplace experience that says, hey, we all have a role to play. We all can bring value. And here is what I, as the proclaimed um, or designated leader, here's the role I can play. Uh, and I love it because it just, as I said, it opens up the door for everyone else to realize they have a role to play. For sure. Yeah, and so then as you as you grew, Craig, through through your different leadership roles, um, how how has this idea of growth um, continued uh, continued for you? You know, I think I look at the the team that I have now um, in in my I guess current departments, and a lot of them are newer into the roles that they're in. They've got experience in other areas, but they're newer into the roles that they're, they're currently in. Um, and I think when we start to reflect on the types of people that we hire, you know, it's a whole other story on, on who we hire and why, but I look at the people that I end up hiring and I tend to hire people 
not so much for skill, but for attitude and for as much as I can perceive judgment and really just for someone who's going to be open to learning and trying things different ways. Um, so when I think back to the growth aspect, I think I look for people on my team um, that are interested in, in personal growth and, and looking for a bit more um, independence, I guess, around how they go about their day. Yeah, and that's uh, that's it. And how do you how do you find out those things? Are there certain things that you you see in the interview, the way they they share stories with you? What helps you find out? I would say it's probably an openness. Um, you know, I've interviewed a lot of people uh, over the years, and I find the people that are able to tell you what they're what they're good at, what they're not good at. And I don't mean the kind of the old question of, you know, best strength and weakness. I mean, just a real, true, authentic conversation with that person or individual um, where you get the feeling that they understand um, and they have a lot of self-awareness of where they, they want to grow and they want to improve. Um, and I, I think that comes across just through, like I say, an authentic conversation about where they think they are and where they want to be and how they see um, myself or, or the organization getting them or, or providing them with uh, a pathway to get there. Yeah, that, well, that word authenticity certainly is coming up a lot lately. I know I did my own, uh, my own research on that authentic leadership theory and it, it really resonated with me in this ability to show up as you are and be able to live through your values and, and make tough choices, but recognize that, you know, you were staying true to who, who you were. Um, it sounds like you really create an authentic um, feel with your team. Um, and I, and I'd love to hear a little bit about how you would describe the culture of the team that you, how many people do you, do you work uh, with a team of 30, in your, in your role? 30 on my group. Okay. So how would you describe, like, what would be some words to describe the subculture of your team of 30? It's, it's interesting. So I, I was actually having a conversation with the team about culture. I mean, you know, step one, obviously is defining for a lot of people what, what culture is and, and how it impacts everything that we do. Um, so maybe if I take a step back, I describe culture, uh, one of my teams is um, a group of, of dietitians and they're very focused on health. And um, so I, I brought it back to kind of our, our own fitness and said, you know, we have a resting state. So if we don't do anything active, um, you know, we have a resting state and that is kind of our resting fitness level. I would say our culture is the same way. Um, so if we choose not to actively uh, monitor or work on or improve or guide our culture, we have a resting state. You may be happy with that, likely not, because there's always uh, things that you may want to improve. Then we get into, what do I want to put my effort into? Um, so we've started, I would say, the, the first part of that heavy lifting of culture here. We've done some surveys. Uh, we've had some good conversations with, um, with the team to get a grasp on where they feel we are, where they feel we need to go. Um, and I would say that we have a, what I would call a shifting or a changing culture in that, um, we have been for a long time, an organization that did one thing really, really well. Um, so that really, uh, lended to stability, um, you know, safety and, and, uh, results oriented culture. And we're shifting that now into a more dynamic, um, more flexible environment where we're, you know, to, to one of your key um, um, thoughts around purpose is the why we do what we do and how that relates to all the new things that we're trying to get um, the team to work on. 
Um, and you can imagine some people are really excited about that and it comes back to the growth. Some people are very excited about the idea um, of having some, some more purpose within what they're doing, a lot more learning, a lot more agility. So I would describe our culture currently as kind of in this uh, changing or dynamic phase of going from a very stable, um, consistent, um, continue to do the same thing to a much more learning uh, or agile group of people who aren't afraid to take some risks. Um, well, that's great. And, and, and so, and they're not afraid to take risks because quite often we hear that people are afraid to, to take risks. So what, it, what are some of the things you're doing then to help nurture that new direction and, and get people more comfortable with, with taking these risks? You know, I think we have to be, we have to open up the idea of failure. Um, actually, I attended a, a talk on failure a few weeks ago where a bunch of leaders talked about some of their biggest failures. And it's an uncomfortable thing to talk about because I think sometimes people um, connect failure to to a lack of skill or a, or a lack somewhere or a gap somewhere. And I think the conversation that I've had with the team and I can really see it coming out is that failure often and most times has nothing to do with a lack of skill or ability or experience has everything to do with taking some chances and not being afraid to try something different. Um, nobody knows how things are going to turn out when you try something new for the first time. You can apply a lot of logic and knowledge, but at the same time, there's a lot more variables. So I've, I've got a team or the team into a place where I wouldn't say we celebrate failures. I think that's probably a bit too much, but where we, where we are aware that failure will happen and that we recognize that failure is part of the process. So the team yeah. understands that failure is going to be part of what we're going to have to go through in order to get to where we want to get to. Well, and I think if we come back to this idea of being authentic, right, we're not perfect humans. And, and for whatever reason, we feel like we have to show up at work and be perfect all the time. And yeah, and that word failure has so many negative feelings associated with it for us. Um, which, which can get in our way. So it sounds, it sounds like you're, you're just making it real for people. For sure. And I, and I think it's a process, you know, I think anytime, you know, changing culture um, takes, as you know, a lot of time and effort. Um, and it really takes a lot of buy-in from the team. Um, you know, for me as a leader, you know, I can set some strategic direction and I can come up with where I think we need to get to culture wise to support us getting there, but it has to be the team that decides that they want to get there um, and that they want a culture that aligns with, with getting us to our end goal. So we really need the team to, yeah. to buy in and feel that this is going to be an environment that they want to be a part of. And it's going to be a part of uh, a positive experience for them when they, when they are working. It's such an important point, Craig, in that, uh, you know, our, our workplaces of today, we can't shove the culture from the top down and write out a list of values and say, okay, everyone in the, in the company, you now must follow these values and these behaviors. Um, so it's, it's such a great point. Um, and I'm sure that's a big reason why uh, your team is, is the way it is, is because you are very collaborative and inclusive and, and, and making it something for the team to own, not just you. And I guess um, just another point on that in terms of kind of inspiration, I'm finding now that we have this more open environment and going to remove the, the fear factor, um, I'm finding the team are inspiring each other. Um, you know, in the past, there was some competition, I think, within the team. And I think competition is good, um, specifically when you have, you know, if I look at a sales team in general, they tend to be competitive people. 
But I'm finding now that that competitive nature is turning in from an individual sport to a team sport. Um, and they're finding success for themselves and for the team. Um, and when someone else fails, you know, we're, we're not afraid to have that open conversation on, I want my team to know that this happened so that they don't make this mistake because I want them to be successful. Um, so when we get back to the culture of a team and really that team environment, um, you know, I think if we have that real open discussion and, and, and a frank conversation between each other, it's not even me anymore. It's not a matter of, of them coming to me to say, oh, you know, this didn't go well. It's a matter of them going to each other and saying, listen, I tried this and it didn't work, but here's what I think might work. And then let's work together to, to move that forward. So um, it really kind of becomes the glue of a team when they're supporting each other and wanting each other to succeed, knowing that, you know, it doesn't have to be a me versus you um, conversation. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and Craig, how comfortable are you in sharing your your failures with the team? More and more so. Um, you know, again, I think uh, when I had first started in, in a leadership role, I was afraid that, that by, stop, I guess, addressing or recognizing my failures, it might make me feel or seem weak to the team. Um, but I think more and more, I think, Overall, not just myself, but leadership in general is really shifting to that more transparent and authentic um, leader. I'm happy to share some of the failures that I've had because I think it shows the team that I'm confident um, and that I, I feel comfortable with failure. I can't exactly tell the team, okay, you know, it's okay to fail, but I've never done it kind of thing because they're going to clearly say, well, yeah. obviously not okay if you're not open enough to say, say that you've done it. So. Um, and I did share. I, I shared with, um, I mentioned, attended uh, a session on on some failures, and the, the one that I shared that is that I'm still battling with today is is that I'm too focused on winning. I mentioned the competitiveness in people, um, and I've shared it with my team, and I'll continue to do so. And that they sometimes need to remind me that I don't need to win every single thing that we go into. Um, you know, there's lots of times when we look at some business that we're trying to win. And I want to win it just because somewhere deep down, I feel that I'll feel good about myself if I win. But there's a lot of time that I'm realizing, and I think the team's helping me realize that there's some times when you don't want to win. It's not the right, um, you know, the right thing for your business or not the right direction to go. And, and just winning for the sake of saying that you beat your competitors is not necessarily going to lead to um, success or the kind of that, that happiness. So, you know, I think that's something that I'm, I'm working on. That's probably one of my, my biggest failures in the past is is chasing things um, and becoming very narrow um, on some projects and some things like that where the team is now actually helping me. So it's funny, you know, we're able to say this is my weakness and this is where I've failed in the past and what I'm working on. Um, and now I find that we work with each other to make sure we're not falling into that trap. Wow. Yeah, I also find it rather funny that um, winning too many things is considered a failure. Um, and what a, what a mind shift that is and really how that represents, um, again, this mindset of growth that, uh, it, it's not, it isn't all about winning just because you win doesn't mean that you're being successful. That's really what comes to mind there for me. Absolutely. And I, and I think if I take that back to, um, um, kids sports, you know, my oldest will be here will be nine years old here shortly. And, um, I coach his hockey team. And we started out the season by winning all of our first, I think, 10 or 11 games. And the whole team said, this is the best season ever. We're winning everything. And I kept saying, guys, this is, um, you know, it's not normal. And we shouldn't get used to this. And, 
And I think, you know, come the end of the year, we, we lost some games and I could see what happened. If you don't take some losses, if they're small losses, um, likely not all that significant to the overall goal, but some small losses along the way, you lose a bit of the edge uh, or that, that sharpness. Um, and we become too accustomed to winning that we stop thinking about uh, what the risks are and the downfalls. So um, back to your point, Carolyn, I think, you know, if we don't take some losses along the way, we actually don't continue to grow and improve. We just keep doing the same thing um, and hoping for the same result. Yeah. And, you know, if I bring that back to culture again and in, in, in the workplace, cultures can seem really great when the business is doing well and you're, you know, hitting all your targets and, and things are feeling good. When a culture really shows up or when, you know, you get to see the real culture show and the real values and behaviors when things are tough, right? When you're not hitting your profit, um, your profit targets, when the sales aren't coming in, that's when the true colors show. Do you, would you agree with that? Absolutely. I think that the quote's been thrown around quite a bit, I think, especially with the Raptors uh, big run this year. Um, you know, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. Um, and I think that is so true in, in just about everything. Obviously, it started in sport, but it, it lends into business and everything as well. Um, you know, in, a, in our in my industry, everything goes well until you have a shortage of a product. Um, and then all of a sudden, that's when you start to really see the culture of your team come out. Um, you know, do they recognize the issue? Are they willing to take responsibility for the issue? Are they going to dig in and find solutions? Or are they going to complain about why it happened? Um, you know, all those elements of, of that ownership and accountability um, um, comes out. And I think that to come, bring that back to purpose and, and the idea of purpose, you know, working in, in kind of healthcare or pharmaceuticals in general, I'd like to hope and think that a lot of our purpose is, is delivering those products and those very important products to, um, to healthcare practitioners that need to deliver care. So we have this, this kind of purpose deep down that, we're running businesses and we're trying to win as we spoke about and we're trying to grow and we're trying to be competitive. But at the same time, we have to do that in an environment that recognizes that, um, you know, there's a responsibility for us as a business, but as a provider to ensure that we're delivering products to, to, to keep people healthy. Uh, and we remind the team of that. I mean, we're, we're not, um, we're not in a position where we can win at all costs. And even if it, at the end of the day, it doesn't work out, that's okay. Um, we don't have that luxury. We have to make sure that that uh, in winning, we can deliver what we promise. So it comes back to a culture of, are we ready to accept um, the responsibility that comes with what it is that we're trying to achieve here? Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. Craig, I'm curious to know um, how you perceive the the culture on your team versus the culture of the whole organization. And so it's, it's, it's about, um, yeah. Do you see those? Are there differences? Are they similar? Um, what are your thoughts on that? It's a, it's a good question. So we did a cultural survey um, and we looked at, we looked at a lot, a lot of different kind of slices of the onion, let's say. Um, I guess the first thing that came out of it was, was I guess senior management's perception of the culture differed from um, let's call it the frontline staff's perception of culture, which I suspect is not that abnormal, but but it is um, telling in that what we perceive to be the culture is not always the culture that's perceived by 
um, the larger group that's, that's living and breathing in it. And if I relate that back to my team, so the commercial team, um, you know, in my environment, the commercial team has got a lot more leeway and agility and ability to kind of uh, be creative. Um, so that leads to a bit more of a learning culture and um, some uh, interdependence between the group and that sort of thing. Then if I look at some of the other departments, less regulatory or quality or more structured departments in any industry where there's a lot of process and it's really about um, ensuring that safety and order and you know things are being done in a certain uh, manner or way, it really lends to a different culture and a different group of people. I think that if you switch those two around, if you asked people in a very structured environment to become a lot more um, let's say creative or, or open-minded, uh, it would be difficult just as if you asked my group uh, on the commercial side to be very repetitive in what they do, but very detail-oriented to make sure that they're checking things. So I would describe my, my group as a, as a culture of people who are um, really flexible. They look for flexibility. They look for purpose. They look for learning. Um, they're looking for new ways and creative ways to do different types of things. Um, and I think that sometimes, um, maybe it's common in many organizations, people look at that as, as more fun or exciting than some of the other cultures who are really focused on making sure that everything is done exactly the same way um, over and over again so that we can ensure quality. But uh, the reality is both of them are equally as important and there are people that fit and are happy in both of those environments. Um, not everybody's happy in an environment where everybody's trying to do things in a new way and we're always trying to innovate and change and, and develop uh, different processes. Some people really like the idea that they're very good at what they do um, and they want to do it consistently and they're very proud of that. So um, yeah, definitely within an organization there can be a lot of microcultures that are dramatically different. Yeah, and, and you know, I really appreciate your point there too. Is it's about it's it's about the individual finding the fit that's right for them. So to your point, um, you know, we need we need all we need all of those types of um, personalities in an organization, um, and and to find the right fit, the right role for them. Um, so you know, we've acknowledged there that you've got different subcultures. Um, what about your organization as a whole? Like, what would be, would there be, like, can you define your culture as a whole for the whole organization? Or is it a group of subcultures that works towards a common goal? I would say it's certainly a group of subcultures, but the common, the common goal certainly, um, again, coming back to the survey, is really customer focused. We have a culture here of you know whatever it is that we need to do to ensure that we deliver um, for the customer that's what every every department and every microculture is geared towards we go about it in different ways you know whether that's commercial whether that's um, a, a more scientific or regulatory pathway we're all trying to accomplish the same thing and that's to deliver a very high level of service to a customer and ensure the customer is happy but we go about that to your point we go about that in different ways and we have personalities um, that thrive in different environments of delivering that. Um, but overall, you know, I would say that we have um, a culture of stability. So it's a very stable environment, the feeling is. Um, we have a culture of learning. So we're constantly looking to, to learn and grow and develop. Um, and I would also say we have an interdependent um, culture in that 
there's a lot of recognition that in order for one group or team to be successful, they really require the support of other teams. So there really is no island or um, silo that can be completely independent on their own and do their own thing and be successful. I think the realization is that in order for any one group or person to be successful, they have to rely on others, which is which has come out a lot in, in this feeling of team and this feeling of um, kind of a shared uh, shared goal and objective. Yeah. Well, and, and Craig, any last, as we, as we wrap up, um, any last insights around how leaders can create a great culture within their team? It's a big question. Um, certainly it's, it's one that everybody I think is trying to answer uh, in their own ways. I guess for me, it, it really comes back to, to just being you and whoever you are as a leader. I think that comes out every single day. Um, you know, I mentioned you have to be on all the time. It's a lot easier for me anyways to be on if I'm just being me. So if I don't have to apply energy and focus to, to being something or someone that I'm not or trying to be perceived as someone that I'm not, and I can really just apply all of my energy and focus um, to, to accomplishing the goals that I have and working with, working with that great team that I have, um, I think it just comes down to being who you are as a leader um, recognizing that that comes with all the good things and and maybe some of the downfalls that, that you've got, but at the same time, that is a is a better leader and a better person um, than trying to be somebody that maybe you're not. Yeah, oh, that's that's beautiful, um, beautiful, Craig. You know, just just be you. You got there because of your skills, and you will be successful because of who you are. And uh, lots of great people out there, and collectively, we can all come together and create something great. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Craig. Um, I love having people on here who are leaders and living this day to day and hearing about uh, uh, your experiences. So thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed listening to, uh, to all of your other uh, podcasts and, and look forward to listening to future ones as well. Thank you, Carolyn. Great. Well, uh, thanks everyone for tuning in to this latest episode. We will see you again soon. in hearing more about PWE? Well, I'd welcome you to buy my book, Rules of Engagement, Building a Workplace Culture to Thrive in an Uncertain World. I share stories, personal and professional, about different elements of PWE. And it's available on Amazon or on Indigo. Thanks to all of you out there. This is why we do this. This is why we have this conversation. We look forward to being with you again on our next PWE and Me podcast. Now, the best way you can hear us is to subscribe on Spotify or iTunes. And if you don't like either one of those two, you can always go to my website at carolynswara.com.